This is Accessing the Pipeline, a podcast for black professionals in private equity and finance, brought to you by McGuire Woods. Join host Ruben Pouchet III as he welcomes special guests offering insights into accessing capital, deal-making, accelerating portfolio optimization, and developing relationships among black professionals in the private equity industry. Tune in to access the possibilities. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Accessing the Pipeline. We have uh, with us today, and I'm just thrilled to introduce to everyone, Chelsea Celestan, who's a vice president on the investment team at Providence Equity Partners based in New York City. Chelsea, welcome to Access in the Pipeline. Thanks so much. We're thrilled to have you here with us. But before we uh, dive into the substance of what we're going to talk about here today, I wanted to get a little bit about your background. So if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about where you went to school and some of the places you've worked and how you ended up working in private equity. Sure. Happy to. And thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to share a little bit more about my stories and more about my views on private equity in general. So really appreciate the platform. Excited to see where this podcast goes. So a little bit more about me. Moved around quite a bit growing up, ended up settling in the suburbs of Chicago, and then went to Harvard, both for undergrad and for business school, because I couldn't get enough. Very fortunate to have had that opportunity. And then I grew up knowing that I was very interested in numbers and business generally. So kind of got in my head really early on from a little bit of pushing from my parents to think about something in finance. No one in my family had worked in finance, but for whatever reason, I really glommed onto the idea and and did a lot of Googling. And then by the time I got to college, started figuring out what investment banking was, did some internships, and then was able to figure out through those, what private equity was. So I started my career at Citigroup in investment banking, focused on leveraged finance, and then decided to make the move into investing in private equity. So I've been very fortunate to spend my time in healthcare and software investing over the years and now at Providence, where I focus, our firm focuses on tech, media, telecom, and education investments. Great segue into hearing just a little bit more about Providence. And I know you mentioned you guys are focused on tech, telecom. Could you drill down a bit more and talk through what types of companies really are on your radar in terms of investment and what types of investments are you most inclined to make in those types of businesses? Sure. So we are a late stage buyout fund. We're solidly in the middle market. So That's an exciting space to be in, I think, because, you know, you're bigger than a company that's just getting off the ground, finding their product market fit, but still small enough to where you're working very closely with founders and management teams and really getting a very close and in-depth sense of how an operator thinks of running their business. Providence has been around for well over 30 years at this point actually headquartered and started originally in Providence, Rhode Island, and has expanded across the globe. So we have offices in Boston, New York, and London. And so I would say when we're thinking about investments, typically we're taking control, so a majority stake in businesses. But also there are many examples where we're working alongside other companies or looking at minority positions as well. 
thinking about all types of creative ways to deploy capital. So as I think through the business model and some of the underlying things we're, we're thinking about, we certainly are thinking about value and profitability, but also we're really investing behind growth and part of, you know, underwriting technology-based companies. So whether it's tech-enabled services, digital advertising, e-commerce, it really can run the gamut of what the business itself and its particular end market looks like. But these fundamentals of really solid businesses where we have a very clear view on where we can provide value. That's where we're trying to focus. You mentioned that you guys are focused on the middle market. You hear people say that all the time. Yeah. What does that really mean for you at Providence Equity Partners? You know, what's the true range of sort of EBITDA that you're looking for when you're outsourcing a potential investment? Yeah. And you know, I'm going to throw it back at you and say it depends. <laughs> Are you the lawyer or am I? <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. You know, we look at businesses that could be typically they're profitable businesses, but whether it's a $10 million business, $100 million EBITDA business, it can really run the gamut and it's dependent on the broader deal context in terms of the valuation we're going to be looking at and the more specific segment that it's sitting in to determine what exactly that investment's going to look like. So, you know, the short answer is is that it really depends, but it gives us a lot of flexibility and we can be really creative in how we are thinking about deploying our fund and the types of businesses. I would say, you know, we do have a sector-focused approach and that's something that's been very significant from the time our firm was founded, but we do give ourselves a lot of leeway to, to think about different types of deals that we can be part of. Circling back to your comment about being really interested and focused on growth, it'd be helpful, I think, for some of our listeners just to hear how your firm as a traditional private equity firm sort of differs from what ventures doing, what family offices might be doing and what independent sponsors might be doing and how important it is to have someone from the ownership team kind of carry on with the business after you've taken a control position. That whole scenario can be interesting and add some complexities to the deal, but would love to hear thoughts on how that plays into your investment strategy. Sure. So I think, you know, one thing that's unique about us as compared to some of those other stages, venture or family offices, is we view our relationship with management as purely partners. So we're working hand in hand, typically from a board level, but also getting involved as we need to in the businesses to think about how we drive value together. And another way we think about differentiating ourselves from some of these other stages is in just the infrastructure. So we have a full group that's focused on portfolio operations that we can bring in. We have relationships with a number of different third-party firms that we can bring in. So, you know, when we're thinking about partnering with a founder or the CEO of a business, it's bringing more than just our investment expertise. It's bringing kind of this whole army that we have, whether it's through operating partners or other partnerships we have, or, um, you know, just the depth within our own team to think through how do we best work together and help drive value. And some of that is organic. So thinking about things like there's a marketing or hiring and people, 
technology or, you know, it can be also inorganic. So we tend to do a lot of work with our companies focused on M&A and how do we think about tuck-ins and really trying to take a multifaceted approach to growing these businesses that we're partnering with. In the telecom tech education industries, you know, if you've done a big platform deal, do you deploy a robust add-on strategy or is that as varied as sort of the, the way that you look at your partnerships? Well, certainly everything is bespoke. So no two deals look the same, but certainly driving add-ons is that's right in our wheelhouse. And that is something that we've found. Just think about going back to this idea of partnership. There's certain things that our CEOs and founders are going to know about their business. And they know at such an intricate level as operators that we on the investment team, just we're not going to know it as well as they do. Certainly not going in. But where we can drive real expertise that many of them have the vision to see but don't know how to execute is within M&A. And so I think it creates a really great opportunity for us to be able to say, hey, here's our skill set. Here's an area where we have real expertise. Let's think about how we work together. So that big picture that you always wanted to get to, this end goal that's going to create great outcomes for you and us. How can we help on that end too? And so, again, it's really a hand-in-hand partnership working together and kind of coming up with that plan as a unit. Pivoting just a little bit, private equity has just been going gangbusters over the last couple of years, with 2021 being a record year for many of the funds playing in various industries across the space, including tech, healthcare, and anything that you know really could benefit from digitalization. And then we come into 2022 where people were not as high on what the deal outlook was going to be for 2022. Now that we're a month past 2022, what would you say, you know, as a sort of year in review, how was 2022 from a deal perspective? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. I graduated from business school into the pandemic. And so (laughs) things were like before and after was a pretty stark difference. And I certainly think that all of us who are working will remember the time 50 years from now when you were in your home office with a nice top on in pajama bottoms trying to do very important Zoom meetings. Certainly a weird time, but a time where, like you said, saw incredible volumes, especially in tech media and telecom and education volumes in terms of dollars getting deployed, assets changing hands, deals getting done. So, I mean, it's been honestly very exciting. I think 2022 was an interesting year. You come off the highs of 21 thinking, okay, is this going to continue? Is it not? Is there a bubble on these prices because everything just seems to be going up? And, you know, you get further and further into the year and then some of the obviously broader market fundamentals start shifting. And so, you know, I think what it has required from private equity firms is an increased level of scrutiny and precision as you think about what you're showing to the investment committee, what you're thinking about underwriting, and, you know, also there's the creativity with which you're going to approach deals. We saw the debt markets change quite dramatically, especially towards the end of last year. 
And, you know, the same deal getting done in 21 was not the exact same deal getting done in 22. So you have to think about what's in your proprietary pipeline, what's happening outside of these auction processes. So, you know, really a number of different ways you had to kind of think about playing the market. And I think that's where the level of rigor and the team that you're on starts to really differentiate itself as you think about deploying capital, realizing capital, and making sure you're doing things in a way where you're really critically evaluating opportunities as opposed to some of the gangbusters, as you were saying, deals that were were getting done before. And I think that we've done a good job of staying disciplined. Yeah. And the discipline piece, I think, is key for a lot of funds as they, you know, sort of work to maybe not reimagine how they source and, and fund deals, but as they look to sort of, you know, add to their strategies going into 2023. And, and, and as we all know, I mean, there were, you know, there were, you alluded to some of the headwinds in 2022, but now we're, we're a month into the first quarter of uh, 2023. What are some of the headwinds that you think we're either currently seeing or will see as we, you know, creep in the, you know, the rest of quarter one and then move, move quickly into quarter two? Will we, will we start to see some of those deal upticks that, that maybe we, uh, we, we've seen in years past? Yeah, I think the the biggest question is what's the bottom, <laughs> and and uh, no one really knows. But you know, you also the economy is just so it's interesting and fascinating. Um, I was an econ minor in college, so I guess I spent time thinking about it. But but you know, it, it's interesting because there's such a dislocation in how things get done. The market is doing one thing with with equities and public companies, but private companies certainly have seen, you know, some multiples come down, but it's not this compression in the same way. Um, and so I think as a result of that, you know, this is, there's been more of a view of kind of staying the course, turning internally, thinking about your portfolio, driving value there, um, and just being smart about value creation with what you have as well. I think in terms of headwinds, you know, Right, like the the broader market has an effect on the debt markets, and private equity is obviously running off of that. Um, and so that's going to be something that's that's interesting. But even as you think about kind of similar to other strategies as that you talked about earlier, with VC and in some growth things, we all are seeing what's happening in the news, and and obviously since IPO is not our only option, it gives us a certainly more optionality to think about, you know, a longer hold period, more we can do with businesses. How do we think about executing on different strategies, just thinking through how we can pivot um, and maneuver where, so your debt markets are going down. How do you think about investment? If maybe you're not IPOing right now, what maybe there's an opportunity for add-on tuck-in. Just being more creative about how we think about creating value. Are you seeing an uptick in in sort of competition in the space? I mean, I, I think all not all private equity firms are created equal, but I think the trend heading into the, the the pandemic was that PE had a lot of dry powder. And even though the cost of debt is going up, we've got quite a you know, folks were really successful in and raising funds and have have capital that's ready to deploy, but is that making it harder to source deals? And and, and if so, what what are some of the spaces that maybe some creative spaces that that that, that you have 
experienced in the last year or so the, for the source deals that maybe you weren't looking at uh, before the pandemic? So, you know, in terms of competition, private equity is always competitive. And you're right that there is a good amount of dry capital and firms are trying to put money to work. But I, I think the other piece of that is you don't really get into this if you're not interested and willing to compete in trying to win. And so I think that's not necessarily too dissimilar from from the past, but certainly a focus. And then I think, you know, that's why we are sector specialists and can go really deep in the areas we know have significant relationships and can think about the themes that we're really engaged in and focused on are not ones that have just been a the last couple months type of thing. And really being able to establish your own pipeline and and expertise in these areas over the course of a number of years. And that focus has allowed us to to help do that. And so, you know, as we think about ways where we're able to have an edge, it is in in the the art special sauce of all of the different things that we've been able to create as a firm through these different methods of insights, relationships, deals we've done, themes we've we've been monitoring over a number of years. And so it allows you to really be able to come into processes and play to win. Thank you for that. And, you know, sort of switching gears just a little bit. And when we spoke before, I, I mentioned this to you, one of the driving factors uh, behind this podcast and this, this, you know, Blacks in Private Equity Initiative is to one sort of, you know, cre- create this ecosystem of people of color that work in this space so that we can, you know, you know do business together, be resources for one another. Uh, and, and so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about DE&I as it sort of as it pertains to the, to the private equity space. And you talked earlier a little bit about what, you know, sort of interest, you know, initially interested in, in finance and how you got into private equity. But what's been your staying power? How have you sustained yourself in a space that that just traditionally does not have a lot of people that look like you were even, you know, even more so working in uh, on an investment team? let alone just being an analyst in the space. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of grit and a lot of internal motivation and being fortunate to have people who you can turn to and ask questions. And I think that's really the power of your network. Um, And so I think it's great that you guys are really starting this initiative to be able to connect folks with others. Because, you know, you think about private equity is an apprenticeship business. And so the need to have people who are above you teaching you the ins and outs and some of the unspoken things that you can't read in a book and, you know, the giving you a chance on the day to day, you need that. And that, that relationship and that apprenticeship model is driven oftentimes by people feeling comfortable with someone. And and that comfort is all oftentimes driven off of similarity. And so when you're the only one of you in a space, then you have to figure out how you're gonna how you're gonna internally navigate that and how you're gonna navigate that with the the people who you can call on. And so there's certainly I feel very fortunate to have the family and friends and colleagues who've who've done that 
for me um, because, you know, this is in a, certainly is in an easy career period, but definitely there are times when it can be increasingly challenging. And that's why you just don't see too many people who look like me doing this. And so I think it there is a real need to have more of the community and, and more of the network in order to start to see changes. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited that it's becoming more of a topic. LPs are certainly thinking about it and discussing it further, which drives, you know, GP activity. But there are certain groups that have been able to make strides. And I think the overall landscape is different than it was 10 years ago. But specifically within the Black community, I think there's a long way to go. And I think that the, the need to change and the impetus to change is going to come from people just continuing to come into organizations and, and figure out how to, how to stay. So I think that's just critically important um, and certainly something that drives me in part as well. You talk about the importance of having, you know, having a network to be successful in space. What other, mm-hmm. what other networks are you a part of? either, you know, sort of locally or nationally that allow you opportunities to connect with either, uh, you know, other Black people or, or Black women in, in the private equity space? Yeah, I think I, I've i been lucky in that um, I've been able to find groups of women, and then I've also been able to find groups of Black women, both of which have been helpful, but different. So I was one of the co-presidents when I was at Harvard Business School of of women investing. Um, and in that club, it's just trying to get more women into the space of investing broadly, whether it's private or public investing. And the alumni base is just really incredible. Um, and have been able to, through that, just have a real sense of community. And then, you know, when I graduated um, from HBS, I remember talking to a friend about who was who was in this space and saying, hey, are there any groups of Black women that I can join or think about? And he's like, no, no, but I really wanted to do something. And so together um, and then kind of bringing on a, a, a smaller group to think about, you know, more of a founding team, um, started thinking through an idea um, to bring Black women who are in capital, capital deploying roles together whether, you know, whether it's across the GP and LP landscape to really have a space to talk about things we're going through because, you know, the it goes back to what you were saying, the unique identity of not just being a woman, but being a Black woman, and not just being a Black person, but also a Black woman. And the totem pole of people, we tend to be at or near the bottom by every metric that whether it's McKinsey measuring it or whomever else, hard business review, all types of things. And so the a lot of the things we face are different than what other groups of people face. And so I've found um, that through having that group, I've been able to make a number of friends, as well as just people where, you know, it, going through something, you need to see another viewpoint, you need to get perspective on something. Um, and it's been really invaluable through those relationships. And I think, you know, having groups like that where we can find 
common spaces to get together and have discussions is going to be the type of thing that that creates staying power. So, you know, people can get to the point where they're able to make more significant changes. Uh, and and th- thank you for that. And, and I think you said something that's super important, which is there is this this group of black women out there who are in capital deploying roles at some of the biggest and baddest PE firms in the country. How does sort of the interplay between ESG becoming a bigger issue for you know LPs and GPs and diversity, equity, and inclusion? What's that intersection with you as a capital uh, as a as a person who can deploy capital? Is that is that sort of translating into an increase in opportunities to invest in minority and and, and women owned businesses in the PE space or, or 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 not so much? I think private equity as a whole is probably a little bit slower to that. Um, I think as you think just in terms of the maturity of um, black owned businesses. Uh, at least that I've seen more recently, many of them are more in the earlier stages of their founding. And so I think that's why you see a number of especially VCs who are really focused on in- investing in um, Black-owned uh, in women-owned businesses, which I think is can be more of a focus. You have a, a greater landscape of companies. That said, I think, you know, I'm very excited to think through how we continue to deploy deploy capital and make sure those businesses are getting to the the levels of being able to have increased scale um, and become things that large private equity firms are investing behind. Um, And I think, you know, there are a number of investment, black investment professionals at PE firms who are know each other, are thinking about these things and are, are trying to, you know, get in positions where, you know, you can be in a place to do well and do good by doing that. Um, and so it's not, it's not, it doesn't need to be an impact play. It doesn't need to be a, an ESG function. It can just be, hey, these are great businesses. Let's invest behind these people all the studies show that diversity is increasingly important and drives results. You know, let's get behind that. And I look forward to the day when that is, when the conversation is less of how is this, why are we doing this from a diversity and equity perspective and more of just, hey, this is a, the best business. Let's, let's invest in it and, and make a great return. Because at the end of the day, black, brown, yellow, pink, we're trying to put dollars in the ground and and extract significant value on the back end. And so that orientation um, doesn't need to, doesn't depend on what that person, shouldn't depend on what that person looks like. And we should be putting the best people in places to be able to succeed. So, and I, I think there just needs to be an increase of exposure and opportunity and um, and at the top of the funnel, and then at the middle of the funnel, retaining those folks that I think it should be thinking. I think that concept should be something that every firm is thinking about. Yeah, no, I t- totally agree. I mean, I think that you know, just generally, you don't do a lot of add-on deals and 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 see a lot of a lot of different uh, owners uh, c- come come through the come through the ranks. 
and, and and very rarely you know see us and 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 do think that you know there is opportunity for uh, professionals like myself and you to help some of uh, some of those businesses get to a growth stage uh, where where they've they've seen enough growth that they're ripe for uh, for PE type of investment and that's an area of uh, a huge area of opportunity for us and. Yeah. One last question, and then we're we're gonna do some. We're, we're gonna ask a couple of fun questions. Okay. Uh, out of here, and and, and I, you know, again, this sort of goes to the whole theme of, of of our BPE movement is, you know, what are some other ways that we can uh, we can sort of expound upon collabor- collaborations with each other, right? I mean, we've got networks, we're having discussions, we now have our own podcast. Where how yeah. do we take it to the next level so that we're seeing, you know, seeing black lawyers working with Black investment professionals working with black lenders uh, and, and and other capital providers in in this space. You know, I think it goes back to the power of the network. I think it's going to be really relationships, um, and I'm glad this is a like I mentioned, this is a forcing mechanism to get people talking. The thing is, the world is small, and oftentimes you just need a forcing mechanism of organization to get folks together an informal way when you have a relationship with folks and and then you can figure out how to do deals together. Um, but you need people from all of these seats really talking and, and giving each other ideas, talking about deals. And I think that, you know, you put people in the room together and I think this sort of thing will naturally start to occur more and more um, just as that as that continues to happen. I mean, I think it's I think it is something that is done in a lot of communities, and I think it's really more of, you know, not that there's a huge number, but there's certainly a critical mass of folks who are in different areas of the of of the investing realm. And I think it's really just getting folks in front of each other and saying, hey, like, how can we find something interesting to do here? And people will be very receptive. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, you heard it, you heard it here first. We need to be more intentional about getting in rooms together and having these types of conversations so that we can find some opportunities to, to work together. And so I, I appreciate this time that I've been able to spend with you um, having some discussions about your expertise in private equity. We do have you know black men, black women who are experts uh, in these spaces. And we, uh, we, we just need to do a little bit better job of getting together. Uh, and, and highlighting that and, and talking through some ways we can work together. So before you get out of here, I've got yeah. a couple of, couple of rapid fire questions. They're a bit random, but Great. go for it. Um, Love I, it. I'm curious to hear your answers. So yes. first question, what cocktail best describes your personality? Old fashioned. It's a family favorite. Why? Because it is classic and typically very good. All right. What's the last book you read? Um, I'm actually in the process of reading a book called The Dope, which is about the history of the Mexican drug trade. All right. Um, If given the chance to have dinner with any person, living or deceased, who would it be and why? Uh Oh, so hard. I know. Um, (laughs) I'll go with Oprah. All right. Why? Why Oprah? Maybe cliche. But I just think she's great. And um, and I think that she's just met so many people and and is just really incredible in how she's built her own 
company and her own brand um, started from nothing and and really, you know, also, I just grew up watching it every afternoon after school because that's what my mom was watching. So I'll, I'll go with Oprah. Fair enough. All right. Last question. Single yeah. best piece of advice you've ever received from a mentor? You know, when I was um, thinking about applying to business school, I remember seeking advice from a number of, of people. And one piece that I that I thought that really stuck with me and I've told other people as they've asked me about that process is, you know, how think about what you're looking to get out of something and how that's going to work for you. I think in life and even in something like private equity, we're so constantly focused on what everyone else is doing and what's going on and, you know, all the possible outcomes and and things you could be doing you sometimes lose sight of you know who are you where do you fit in where do you work best and how do you optimize any situation for yourself and so really taking the time to be more introspective and think through what is it that you're looking to gain um and give to others and what's the sort of experience you want i think it's really shaped both how I approached that approach decision making and also, you know, how I approach business today of, you know, making sure you're putting yourself in the right situations where you're going to be able to meet your goals at the at the end of the road. I thought that was something that it's so easy to lose sight of, but so critically important to actually being able to find success. Awesome. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Chelsea, Celestin. VP on the investment team of Providence Equity Partners based in New York. Thank you so much for your time, for your brilliance, and look forward to working with you and having you involved in the VPE Access in the Pipeline podcast uh, further down the road. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Accessing the Pipeline. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Ruben Pouchet III at rpusha at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.